G'day and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Uh, a big thank you to C Suite Radio and C Suite TV for their support and sponsorship. And this is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. experience as a human resource manager, including 11 years in heavy and hazardous industry, oil, gas and mining, Murray Luhrmann focused on leadership development and behavioural and cultural change. Through training, experiential learning and coaching, Laurie created safety cultures in work environments in Africa, USA, Canada, Egypt, Azerbaijan, Trinidad and Tobago, UK, Asia, New Zealand and Australia. Laurie seeks to make a difference and approaches her work with passion. Welcome Laurie Luhrmann. <laughs> it's a real pleasure to have you here Laurie. Um, you're with the Mounties Club which is hospitality in a club environment and of course tell us about your role there. What's the, what's the title of your role and uh, how many people report to you and uh What's the secret to leading those people? <laughs> well, that's some of those questions are still a mystery to me. Um, my role is is uh, look, it's quite unique. I don't know of anybody that has my kind of role, uh, and that kind of because you're a unique person. I have a feeling you might be <laughs> most definitely. So uh, my title is uh, people, talent, and education mentor for the group. Right. So so you've been employed as a full-time mentor, but also you are considered one of the senior leaders. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. yes. I've actually been here now for five weeks and the team I'm still building. So I have um, I have obviously my peers and colleagues, so the senior management team, and I've been working pretty closely with them on our plans for the future. And I'm rebuilding the people and culture side of the business. So during COVID and the shutdowns that we've had here in New South Wales, uh, the team had sort of eroded and not a lot of love had been given there. Uh, So my job has been to start to re-establish that. And I've just made an appointment for a new PNC general management manager. What does that mean exactly? Well, people and culture, and he will be the general manager and and my role will be to mentor him. When you come on board there's kind of a triage then you've been in the job five weeks how do you identify the order of priority first things first what what do you think is the the most Mm -hmm. important thing to to turn around a team or to create new members of a new team you know we've got the Forming, norming, storming, performing. (laughs) And morning, don't forget the morning stage. Um, Yeah, we've had some of that too. The the most important thing has to be the first impressions. We are in a hospitality organisation and we say that our customers come in here wanting 
you know, they judge us on their first impressions. Well, our first impressions are how well we bring our staff on board. And at the moment, there's holes in my onboarding system. So that was the first area that has to be triaged. And I experienced that myself. So it was actually very good. Mm, mm. Okay, so you want to improve the onboarding process. Um, What else is the next most important thing when you're creating a fresh team? Yes, then hiring the right people. And it's always been get the right person. If they don't have the right skills, then we will skill them up. And so it's about personality and fit and matching the team members so that they can work together. How important is testing as part of the recruitment process? It could be psychometric testing. It could be some sort of a skills test. Uh, It's not just based on are they good in the interview? Do they answer the questions well? No, competency-based testing is really important. Um, Now, in the past, I've used psychometric testing. At the moment, it's just we've got such a skill shortage at the moment in terms of people that are available for the jobs. It's it's probably a step that we don't need to have in place at the moment because it also elongates the process of hiring. Does that suggest that in a, a time when there's a talent uh, a war for talent, um, you kind of have to not be so picky and and really sort of decide look look for potential and see if you can train people up rather than expect them to be already trained up and pick the best of those. Is that yeah, I, is, that a, is that one of the issues, or is there, a, or am I missing something? Definitely, it's definitely an issue, and I like your term "war for talent" because that is definitely the case. And uh, so, there's two fronts to that war. One is retaining the talent that you already have in place, and people at the moment have an expectation of if I ask you for something and you don't get back to me within a day, then I'm going to go somewhere else because somebody else is offering me something. Um, and, and that leads me off into retention programs for current staff, um, which is a different topic. Coming back to bringing people on board, yes, I have, I have made some job offers to people who didn't have quite the skill level that I wanted. I looked at the potential and said, this is where we can take you. And none of those people are currently floating around saying, oh, look at me, I'm looking for a new job. They're all engaged with other companies. So we've got to wait their notice periods and then bring them on board. So it slows everything down. So that's called headhunting, is that right? There's there's that term as well, yes. (laughs) You've got to be smart, you've got to be savvy, and you've got to go out and find the right people and invite them. Look, you just might get them at the right time and uh, if you can, if you're, I think also if you're creating new culture and you're fresh on board, you've got that whole new beginnings and there's a whole um, uh, a whole cohort of people wanting new beginnings right now. There's a lot of people going, I want to change, any change will do. <laughs> you have to learn to recruit, you have to learn to interview, you have to learn to be a manager. So I read, I've read lots of books over the years and I remember one that stuck in my mind, not that I've actually done it because I don't think I have an office this big, but it was someone that had a big office and they threw a book sort of almost directly between the door and their desk and if the candidate bent over and picked up the book and handed it to them, they had a tick. And if they oh, didn't, really? if they ignored it, 
but I don't have we don't have offices like that anymore I don't think no we don't I am reminded of because we are hiring for hospitality um you know we're looking for people who are extroverted who are going to greet our customers and even though a lot of the back of house roles don't require extroverts you still need them to provide a warm welcome to the staff members when they come looking for support because essentially that's what we provide. So you've just reminded me of um, a wonderful man that I met early in my career who worked for the Wynn Corporation and he was actually, so Steve Wynn, the casino mogul, and, and they owned a number of casinos in Las Vegas one in uh, Atlantic City, um, and they did some openings. So they had Golden Nugget, they had Mirage, Treasure Island, then they built Bellagio, which they subsequently sold to MGM Grant, and then they built the Wynn um, Casino in Vegas, which is a six-star resort. And I don't know what it looks like today because I haven't been there for a while, but it used to have a Ferrari dealership in the foyer. Right. You know, people that won big. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And always a very flash jewelry store and all that yeah, sort of stuff. So you can right. spend meetings. But he taught me a very, I think, wonderful lesson because when they were recruiting in mass recruitment mode and, and for the opening of the Mirage Casino, they were looking for 5,800 staff for opening day. So they looked at examples in um, massive recruitment areas. And, of course, you're looking at your armed forces and um, Navy, Army, Air Force, those places. And they determined that if you were going to be, say, a fighter pilot, you had to have a certain level of hand-eye coordination. And you'd be good at carrying multiple plates to, from the kitchen to the table. Is that what you're right. saying? Yes, yes, exactly. I thought of that. <laughs> And they have a test in in the first couple of sessions where they test hand and eye coordination for the pilots. And if you don't make that test, you're out the door. So they said, that's really good to know, but what do we need in hospitality? Because that test doesn't really relate to the skills that we're looking for. So it goes back to we're looking for extroverts. So what do we need? We need eye contact. We need the handshake. And we need a really big, warm smile. So on those three things alone, when they were doing their um, their massive recruitment, they culled out about 34,000 people just on those three factors right at the very beginning and it left them with around 21,000 people then to go through the next lots of processes. That's but- very interesting, Laurie, because I have observed even myself, I'll do a Zoom, I'll do a group Zoom, and uh, after I've had a private conversation with them and say, well, next step is a group Zoom, and I only accept for the next stage the people that actually smile during the Zoom. The number of the number of students who just have this sour face and they're so serious. I'm going, you're going to be working closely with me as, you know, one of my assistants. I want someone that's pleasant. Yes. <laughs> pleasant to be around and Look. is lighthearted and brings sunshine. That's what I want. Nina, that's really important. It's also, there's a study, and I can't, I can't reference where it came from, but a study that was done, again, out of American um, high school photos, you know how they do the yearbook, 
and they do the photographs of people. Yes. And there's a certain type of smile. I think it's the Duchenne smile. Yeah, that's the word, the Duchenne smile, where, yeah. where the, little, the little creases in the eye open up. That's a yeah. genuine smile. Yeah. You've got it, Laurie. Yeah, there you go. So the whole facelifts. But what they did in that study was they they checked through the books and they picked all the people, the women particularly, that had the Duchenne smiles, and they found that they had more success in their lives. When they checked on them 30 years up the up the road, they had more successful careers, more successful marriages, were more um positive about life and about the future than the people who didn't exhibit that smile and that came from their yearbook it's it's fascinating stuff isn't it absolutely right Laurie tell us a little bit more about your career trajectory how did you what was your first uh job you know as a as a as a young uh you know starting your career young person starting your career and how did you move into leadership roles and any tips for any aspiring people managers listening to this Oh, well, that's a really interesting thing. And if you spoke to my parents about it, they would say I was always destined for a leadership role uh, because I was apparently quite confident and I was even termed bossy sometimes as a younger person. Yeah, but it depends who's saying that because... That's exactly right. So yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a saying I've heard women say is, you know, only men call confident women bossy. Yeah, that's right, yes. So in they term- wouldn't call it a confident man bossy. It's a... <laughs> never, never. It's yeah. usually aimed at women. That's right. They get all those nice terms like assertive and confident. Um, so my... My career started before my career started, if you like, and I actually, the very first thing I ever did was I went to the racetrack and I got myself a job riding racehorses because I loved jockey As a jockey. And, in fact, I had a lady jockey's licence. So I had a great love of horses and I was never, um, we weren't in a position to own them. So I went, well, I know where there's horses and I know where I can get some work with them. So I took myself off as a very confident 11-year-old and by the time I was 12, I was regularly riding track work. That's a feather in your cap. It's amazing, isn't it? And it wasn't something I set out to do. It just I just fell into that. That's like. right. So you're a, tra- a trailblazer at 14. Yes. Continue on. Uh, you would have finished school. Did you do studies did, after school or went straight? Yeah, indeed. I, I went into um, I went to university and I studied and um, like most girls at, at my in my age group, there were not a lot of choices. So I, I went down the education pathway and I studied a Bachelor of Education and in secondary education. And from there I went on to work with our um, TAFE, our um, school leader. and further education sector. That's exactly right. And so I worked in that system and from there... I was headhunted to go into my first role in human resource management. I see that was in a so you moved from a tertiary education to private sector. Yes. In a human resources uh, role, which had also had the learning and development attached to it as well. Because I remember early in my career, it was difficult to be recognized as an equal to others. People saw it as soft skills and it was always a little bit lower on, you know, it was an, there was always an argument about where it sat on the organisational chart. 
And so I think probably the, I had some very good um, and they, they I had some very good male leaders who I think were quite visionary at the time. So they saw the role differently to the traditional human resource role. And I I think I, I left the club industry for a while and I worked for a bit with Star City Casino and I had a very strong female leader in that role who'd come from America. And so she opened the door, I think, to real assertiveness right. and right. showed me a different way of communicating. And it it just seemed to be natural. Then I, I left that and went consulting. All right, and just before we go on to that, what was that different way of communicating? I'm curious. Definitely more direct in being able to say what it was that you wanted to say. So I learned from that person um, who's still a very good friend. I learned a very direct and assertive way to communicate what it was Can that I needed. Can you give us an example? Can you remember? That's because I love language. I love I love finding the exactly right words to say. And I think one of the reasons uh, when I was a rookie manager, I think I was a poor manager because I just didn't know what to say. So I'd let things slide. And yeah. I realize now that's the that's the 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 death knell of leadership. If yeah. you don't give fast feedback and if you don't assert yourself, and it's better to actually say something and and not say it right than to say nothing at all. Well, the way that I learned to communicate really clearly from this person was about defining standards, first of all. And so when somebody didn't meet your standards, it was being able to describe the standard, being able to describe what it was that you needed and very succinctly saying what the gap was. And that was a bit of a breakthrough. I know there's a lot of research around it now and um, there's great recognition. Covey certainly uh, looked at this, but it's about choices and it's about choosing your behaviour. And those things, when they all fell together, seemed to make it easier for me to deliver. And we often have to deliver bad news to people and that made it really easy to talk about the behaviour and not the person. That's right. And it's about talking about observable behaviour and not sort of making uh, accusations that are subjective. Yes. Talk about it's being arm's length about the behaviour and and describing the behaviour that did not, that had a a consequence that was unpleasing. Yes. Now, whatever word you want to use, I wouldn't use unpleasing, but, you know. Well, yeah. The, the consequences of this because you're not meeting the standard or your behaviour is here and it needs to be here. That's and right. And we can change the behaviours. So, and I think going into those discussions with a positive view as well, so expecting people to succeed, not fail. Right, expecting people to be willing to change and to be able to do whatever it takes to change. Yes. But then we're talking about two things here. We're talking about skill and will. That's right. So the conversation you have is to confirm that they have the will yes. to make a change, to make a different, you know, to, 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 to come up with different behaviours and then maybe making the offer, well, if you're willing to do it, here's how we can upskill you. Something like that? 
That is exactly how it goes, yes. And here we are to help you with those skills. So all you've got to do is make the make the choice to do this and this is what the picture looks like at the end of it. So those were things that were never, I always felt bad if I had to have a direct conversation with someone because I felt like I was making them do it and it wasn't me making them do it at all. It was about them choosing to do what yeah, so then then it becomes how you how you uh, serve it up you know the words you use the yes. frame uh and how you describe it yes. so I'm just wondering I mean I can list a litany of mistakes I made as a young leader and then through seeing the the, the consequences of the either my omission yeah. uh, not doing the right thing or you know avoiding uh doing the right thing or choosing to take action and actually <laughs> doing or saying the wrong thing and go and then reflecting upon it. That's the thing. It's all about self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say are some of the mistakes you've seen other leaders make? Oh, that resistance to feedback where you're, whether it's through a psychometric test or whether it's just through a discussion that you've just had and you've observed them with a staff member, and it hasn't gone well, and you they're not open to hearing how they could have improved, that's, I think, often the death, the death spiral, I call it, when somebody gets into that pattern of behaviour and they just are too resistant to listen to anybody else's point of view. And there's nothing wrong with me. I don't need to change. Yeah, so we're starting to see that that's probably indicative of a fixed mindset. Yes. Whereas a growth mindset person will go, oh, you're pointing out a blind spot. Mm. We may not say it this way, but this is effectively what you're doing. You're pointing out a blind spot. I had no idea. And now that you've pointed it out, thank you. I'll work on it in future and see if I can improve on that. And it's easy to identify and yet not easy to do, especially when you're a young and aspiring manager And I can remember being in a position where I was receiving feedback through psychometric tools. And before I really understood them, I was, I was, I can remember being a bit resistant. Some bits that you like, you tick off and go, yes, yes, that's definitely me. No, that couldn't be me. And then you pick them up a couple of years later and you look at them as though you are looking in that rearview mirror and go, that was definitely me. Right. It's yes. interesting, isn't it? it so is. have you got a favourite psychometric test that you would still use? Yeah, I use a couple. One of them is the Hogan tool, um, so uh, developed by Bob Hogan in the States, and um, it offers a suite of different assessments. But I like their 360, and I like the way that you can pick success factors uh, I like the integrity of that tool. It's, uh, it is a good predictor for employability and performance in employment as well. Uh, so I, I've used that extensively. And I also like the human synergistics profiles. I like the simplistic nature of, well, just the fact that it's quite visual. Mm. And so when you get your results back, they're graphed in a, in a circular, in a circumplex. And you can see the gaps in different things. So if it's a 360, you can see how different people view yourself as opposed to how you see yourself. 
Um, and I like the way that you can map the growth. So depending on what level of the organisation I'm working with, I'll choose a different tool. Just in closing, Laurie, um, our sort of time is coming to an end. Have you got a book that you can recommend that has given you some sustenance around, you know, how to lead people? Yes, I I am an avid reader and there are a number. One of the ones on my bookshelf that keeps coming back to me is Patrick Lencioni's uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And it's not a it's not a huge read. It's not going to consume a year of your life to get through it. No, it's, it's not. It's very simple. It's to the point and it's easy to connect to. So you can go back and you can look at your team and go, right, where are we at with this? And do the analysis and then rebuild from there. So, And the good news is he's created an accredited program called the Five Cohesive Behaviours of a Team, which is will turn around the five dysfunctions. And, of course, we have facilitators at, at BrainPower Training that will deliver that for organisations. But Len Choney's work is uh, very targeted, very niche, and... I, well, I believe everybody should have read the seven, the, the five dysfunctions of a team. I nearly said seven because we often say there should be more than five. <laughs> five. Yeah, it's easy. But five's easy to remember too. It's yes. that tag, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's mandatory reading for anybody in a leadership role to, to pick that book up and, and absolutely get your head into it. Yeah, because he's talking about fear of conflict and 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 avoiding artificial harmony and and having uh, you know transparent conversations where you say what you think. And there's so many examples where groupthink has actually led a team down the wrong path because the people thought one thing and said another just to go along with things. So yeah. that's just one of the five behaviours. We won't turn this into a conversation about the five. I've worked in organisations that have done that, so I've seen it in real life, and it. It, pay, it costs the business immensely. So, yeah, you better to see it and cut it off. And what's the personal attribute that you bring to an organisation that makes you able to be the, the great leader that you are, Laurie? Oh, I think now it's the accumulation of the years that I've had and just the cross-hatching of all of the experiences. So, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is five weeks into the role. I feel that every problem that is brought to me at the moment, it's it's like, yeah, I know this. So we map out the solution for it. And so far it's all it's all going really well. So I think it's it's just I've had many different experiences, whether it's been in hospitality or whether it's been in the oil and gas or the mining industry or whatever it's been in. Um, I've dealt with a real big cross-section of people. And I, I think probably, I'm going to say this, my unique sales proposition for me is that I can connect with people at all levels of the organisation. So I can talk with the people at the front line, like they're my best friend, and I can communicate with my CEO. And I, can I think that's that. a common trait I hear from a lot of great leaders. So you've, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Laurie. Look, Thank you so much for your time today. I know you've carved out a half an hour for us so we could uh, have this conversation and I have to now release you back <laughs> into your <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Nina. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks, Laurie. All the best. 
this episode, we've been speaking with Laurie Luhrmann on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. We interview experts who share insights on how to elevate and transform team culture. And if you like this podcast, share the link with a friend, invite them to listen. And by becoming a regular listener, they'll build their capability as a leader and uh, self-leadership. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter at Nina Sunday. Tell me you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. Until next time, ciao for now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.